I am thrilled to be here with you. And we will get to Ephesians. If you'd like to, uh, one of the things that we've been encouraging people to do is uh, to follow us um, on social media. I know there's some, uh, (laughs) there's all kinds of controversy going on all the time about everything. Uh, So I don't know. Some pe- I've heard people say, well, I'm not, I'm getting off of social media, you know. Well, I'm still using, I'm using most platforms, any platform I can to be able to promote the message and teach and preach. Um, and I, you know, when you get the opportunity to travel across a nation pretty consistently, you know, you got to be able to get your voice out there. And so there's a few different uh, social media platforms we're using. And one is Facebook. And so, uh, but if you just went to your your uh, internet browser, and you typed in Jeremiah Bullock Ministries, pretty much, you know, you're going to find uh, my website, uh, our school, which is City Taker Training Center, where I teach um, eight courses a year and then oversee the other courses. And then uh, pretty active on Facebook, um, you know, just doing some live stuff and, and prayer things, um, you know, journals, blogs. Um, I, I posted something today, reposted something today, that uh, a guy that I studied under for Greek, Bill Mounts, um, he's, uh, he put out, he's doing a, invented a website, or he actually started this website, and he's dealing with missing words. And when you run in my circles, you run into people sometimes, you know, um, in the world who have a distrust for the scriptures. And they say, oh, that's not accurate, all this stuff. And it's kind of his passion, and it's been my passion to debunk some of that. And he's clearly beyond what I am in terms of original language. But um, anyway, so I posted something on Facebook today, and it's really good. So if you're into that kind of Greek nerdy stuff, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I'm passionate about, obviously, as we're talking about being in Christ and being a Christian, is it's clearly defining. I, I've always believed from, from the outset, that my preaching was very biblically based. And in today's society, there's a, there's a difference between being a Christian and a, and a biblical Christian. Uh, you know, I meet people all the time that say, oh yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus. You know, what, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? Satan believes in Jesus. Okay, so, you know, what do you mean? Are you talking about like he believes he exists? So what? So in, in terms of being a Christian, bearing that name, walking, walking in a right relationship. I've heard people say, well, I have a relationship with God. So does Satan. <laughs> See what you, I really want to come back and allow the Scriptures. This is really important. I like to come in every setting and allow the Scriptures to paint a picture of what a Christian looks like. And then I just simply sit back and say, do you look like that? So you can't be mad at me. You can be mad at the scriptures. I'm cool with that. I want to be your friend. I don't care who you are. But I I really want to come and and take all opinions back to the word, back to the scriptures. One of the things we've been finding, though, is that there's, I I meet people who really don't know. This is so funny. I meet people who don't know what the word is. Um, Just real quick background on me. I come from a very religious home not a Christian home, but a religious home. And those are two different things. Thus, some of the t-shirts and some of our, 
our product that we push out there and just consistently making a difference between being religious and being Christian. And when I got saved in 1995, came out of a uh, really bad background and God just got a hold of my life <clears throat> and I started going to church, I quickly began to pick up that a lot of the things that I was taught just weren't true. You know, I grew up in the day and age where if you were a Christian, under no circumstance did you wear a hat to church. And I still believe in that. Yeah, I wouldn't. Certain things you just don't push the boundaries on. Um, as a guy, you don't have long hair. You know, Jesus could, but we can't. Clothing styles. You know, all these kinds of things. And it was, it was interesting. I, and I just, I, I got on this pursuit and just began to eat, devour the scriptures. What does it mean? And debunk cultural Christianity is really what I was interested in doing. So I was taking everything and I became cynical because there's all kinds of stuff that I believed that when you come down to it, it just wasn't biblical. You just picked it out of it, we just made it up, you know? And I dealt with hat stuff way back in the day, just because I'm wearing a hat. But, you know, I mean, back in Jesus' day, you had a covering when you wore the word. Well, we pitched that, now you can't have them. It's so funny. It's so funny. So what I've been doing in recent days is I've been trying to come back and say, hey, you know, let's, let's take what we believe back to the scriptures. And is this really biblical? So I'm meeting people today that say I'm a Christian, but they're really not a biblical Christian. And when you're wanting, what, what, what kind of, when you're wanting to understand, you know, what, what is the scripture? Do, do people know what the scriptures are? You know, why do you believe the Bible? Because again, in, in growing up and as a brand new Christian in my early 20s, kind of growing into my faith, um, I questioned everything. And a lot of the things I put my hopes on, like clothing, those kinds of things weren't true. I began to question everything. So I questioned the Bible. People said, well, that's God's word. Well, how do you know? Well, I know that I know. Well, yeah, you know that I couldn't wear jeans too. So let's, you know, let's just get real. And so I did this study and ended up coming back in this large pursuit. And to be quite frank, it came back to my ordination in, in my denomination. I had to, there were certain things I was going to die on a hill over. And this was one of them. And I come to the conclusion that this is God's word. And it might not be for the same reason that you say it's God's Word. But I want to walk you through that process tonight. So I'm going to give you a, a biblical scripture, a, a biblical scriptural presentation of what the scriptures are themselves. And it really comes from the mouth of Jesus. In fact, I want to begin, I think you'll enjoy this, in Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24 and in John chapter 1. And they're just like right beside each other. And Luke chapter 24 is one of my favorite passages of scripture on this topic, um, because Jesus has resurrected from the dead, okay? Uh, the angel comes and removes the stone, as we heard tonight in worship. But that wasn't to let Jesus out. That was to let us in, to let us see that he'd actually been risen from the dead. And uh, he's appearing to several different people. We know through the gospel accounts, and then actually Paul references it several times in his writings, the different people that he appeared to. But in Luke 24, this is to two guys that are walking into the town of Emmaus. And so it's, it's been called the Emmaus Road scene. And uh, Jesus comes up incognito. They can't recognize him. In fact, it tells us, beginning in verses uh, 13, 
Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about 70 miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So they're processing. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, if you get in the original language here in verse 16, the reason they were kept or how they were kept from recognizing him is because he was wearing uh, those glasses with that nose and mustache. I'm just kidding. It's just a little, that's a little Greek humor. Keep you up with me. They were kept from recognizing him. And so he comes up and he asks him in verse 17, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Because they've been talking. And they stand there, their faces are downcast, and one of them named Cleopas basically looks at him and goes, dude, where are you from? Because <laughs> he's been listening. They're like, Jesus, seriously, like you haven't heard of this guy? And he says in verse 19, what are you guys talking about? Now listen to their language. This is so good. They say in verse 19, continuing, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Pause. Not we talk a lot about the deeds of Jesus. He healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He raised people from the dead. He walked across water. Dude, his deeds were next level. We love it. But that was, that was not the extent of who he is. He was powerful in word and deed. You understand, Jesus was the first spirit-sourced man on the planet since Adam. He spoke differently. When he opened his mouth, the Holy Spirit came out. People said, we've never heard anybody talk like this. I mean, he was God manifest in the flesh. Kind of crazy that that's who we're supposed to be. Isn't that neat? So they say, they're talking about it. Dude, he's a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed among God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Here it is, verse 21. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Listen to this. They said, in fact, we thought he was the Messiah. You're like, hold on. They didn't. These guys are members of the 120. You, you mean... They didn't believe he was the Messiah. There was no room, this is so good, there was no room in their theology for a bleeding, dying, suffering, conquered, killed Messiah. The Messiah was going to be the individual who came and reigned forever. King of kings and Lord of lords. Just this phenomenal, like, tremendous figure. The idea that he would come and be killed was not possible. And so they're like, we thought he was the Messiah. And then they, you know, elaborate on that. And you come down to verse 25, and Jesus cuts in on them, and he says, how foolish you are. He never says that to us, does he? He says, how foolish you are. And now listen to what he says. And slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. This is so good. Don't, don't drift. Verse 26, did not the Christ have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, he looks at them and says, listen, it's evident you guys didn't go to Sunday school. Because if you would have studied the scriptures, you would know who I am. Please hear this. Every time, 
I challenge you, I challenge you to, to do a biblical study. In Scripture, when Jesus, the Gospels, was questioned about his identity and who he was, he always came back to the Scriptures. You want to get to know me? Get in the book. See, how could you miss this? And he literally walks them through the scriptures. He doesn't only, he not only does this here, but you go a few verses up and he comes in among all of the disciples. And there's a whole thing with Thomas, look at his hands, all this stuff. He come down to verse 44. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 44, same chapter, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Well, what's that mean? Do we've been over this before. Come on, we talked about this. Come on, I told you guys this, man. This is about the book stuff. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Oh, do that tonight, Jesus. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And you guys saw this with your own eyes. I'm absolutely convinced if you are a Christian, online or present, if you are, in a, Christ, if you are a Christian and you're walking in intimacy with Jesus, you are going to be in this book or you're going to end up with a non-biblical understanding of who, you're going to end up worshiping a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the scriptures. And it's all over our culture. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but have you? And literally, our culture invents a Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the scriptures. And he specifically tells us, dude, do you want to know me? Get in the book. So what I want to do tonight, just over the next four or five hours, is I do, I want to walk you through what's special about this book. Seriously, what in the world when Jesus himself endorses the scriptures. What's, what's the big deal about this book? If you were to divide our Bible, can we all see the screen? Can they see it online? Praise God. If you were to take our Bible and you were to divide it into covenant sections, because we, we, most of us who've been around church, if you're watching online and this is kind of new to you, when I got saved in 1995, this is all new to me. I was telling a couple last night that, um, you know, I grew up in a very religious area, was familiar with the Bible, vaguely under, remembered that there was a book in there with my name on it, you know. And, but I had no idea. I never, I mean, I knew some of the people that were in it. I, I'd heard, I've been, you know, I grew up in a religious area. The Bible Belt. There's the belt, there's the buckle, then there's the hole. I grew up in that hole right there, okay? So I knew about the Bible, but I'd never really read it. And I knew enough to understand that the Bible had an Old Testament and a New Testament. But what is that? And I, and I, I you know, I, I think there was once upon a time where I even heard where <laughs> the Old Testament no longer applies to us, the New Testament. We hear these kinds of things. I'd like to talk to you about that. The Bible is divided up into Old Covenant Scriptures and New Covenant Scriptures. We are in a New Covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, what does that mean? Well, the days of sacrificing animals, 
Ten Commandment, you know, uh, steering the life, living by the, the law, which is more than just Ten Commandments, the first five books of the Bible, those days have passed. They've been replaced by a new covenant that's so strong that the old covenant is not even an option. It doesn't exist. If you seek to, to walk with God in an old covenant relationship, it becomes idolatry. That's real strong language. We're walking in a new covenant relationship in Jesus Christ with God the Father. The old covenant scriptures obviously are called the Old Testament. The new covenant scriptures are called the New Testament. Typically, if you, if you want to know about Jesus, you want to learn about the good news, the gospel, you ask people, they're going to say, turn to the New Testament. Because that's where you find the gospel, which is the good news. And I always tell everybody, you are 50% accurate. Okay? Because the Old Covenant is actually where the gospel begins. This is, do you know that all, all the... All the New Testament major events where the proclamation of the gospel was given, they were proclaiming the Old Covenant Scriptures. Because they didn't have a New Covenant yet. The, like, the biggest, like most New Testament passage in all the New Testament, Pentecost, where like the New Covenant was born and, and it was like the Spirit was given and Christians became Christians for the first time in like mass numbers. Peter stands up and he preaches the new covenant out of the book of Joel. That's old covenant. You're like, what is that? How does that work? What does that mean? That God, this is so neat, God had been talking about Jesus from the beginning. So we know and we believe that the Old Testament is what we call the gospel announced. And the New Testament is the gospel arrived. And let me give you a couple examples of this. I would, I, would, I would encourage you and insist that if you take Jesus out of the Old Covenant Scriptures, you're going to completely misunderstand Him. And now if you were at our school, if you were at our training center and you were going through our class, I, got a, I, I teach a class there on, on, on biblical Greek and we do a whole deal on, on in, the, an introduction to the Bible the first several hours of that class because it's a 12-hour spring and a 12-hour uh, fall and 12-hour spring. The first several hours of that class, we go through the scriptures and we talk about things that Peter says that people in the Old Covenant hour longed to look into the scriptures. They were proclaiming things they didn't understand. I mean, literally, the Messiah was going to come through a virgin. So people come up to the prophet who proclaims that and says, what does that mean? He's like, dude, I have no idea. I don't know. He just told me to tell you. Yeah, come on, he didn't know. There's all kinds of things they longed to look into. But we now look at the Old Covenant and go, wow! Because we have access and insight into this intimacy that they did not have. They longed to look into it. So they were proclaiming Jesus in an Old Covenant hour without fully recognizing who they were proclaiming. Let me give you an example. One of my favorite. And we have some kids in here. This is the, if, you're, if, you have any, if you're watching online you have any children, bring them in the living room. This is the best children's story you're ever going to hear. It's the Passover. One of my favorites. This is Jeremiah version. 
uh, God basically comes to this guy named Moses and sends him into Egypt, going to lead his people out. And he's been there for a time. You've had all these plagues taking place. It's been crazy. There's been six of them. There's one other one coming, uh, or rather nine of them. How many plans? I'm only preaching. How many? There's 10, right? 10 plagues? 15? Okay, there's all of them but one. There's 10 plagues. All of them but one. And he says, hey, uh, uh, God contacts Moses and says, um, hey, we got one more. I, I want to talk to you about it. So meet me down at Starbucks. So Moses meets God at Starbucks, and he's got his iPad and his Apple Pencil and his notes. And uh, Moses is like, dude, it's been crazy. God's like, I know, but it's, the last one's coming, and this is going to be it, and it's going to be great. And Moses says, all right, I'm ready. And so God says, here's what I want to do. He says, on the 10th day of the fourth month, uh, what I want you to do is I want every Israelite family uh, to go out and get a, he's very specific on a kind of lamb, a, a lamb without spot or blemish, a one-year-old male lamb. Don't get some, you know, dollar general. I'm talking like, you know, buckle, uh, you know, hey, I'm, I'm high quality lamb. And on the 10th day of the month, I want them to bring it in and they're going to keep it until the 14th day of the month. Okay. So that's 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, that's five, that's a work week. And so Moses is like, okay, go get a lamb. One-year-old man, a lamb has to be perfect. And bring it in the home. Wife's not going to like that. Um, going to have to go buy PetSmart on the way home. You get the collar, the flea, uh, the pee pad. Uh, you know, he's making his list. He's like, okay, I got it. And then God says, listen, on the four, this, is, this is a phenomenal children's story. God says, listen, on the 14th day of the month, here's what I want you to do. I want all the family to gather in the kitchen. And I want you to bring, and, and, and you understand, it, is just, it isn't called the lamb. It's been living with the kids for a week. They've been arguing over who's going to name it, you know, who it gets to sleep with. They're playing, they've taught it to fetch, roll over. It's part of the family, okay? And they name him, one-year-old male lamb, Fred. So God says, bring Fred into the kitchen and the whole family, and also a bucket and a knife. It's a great children's story. And as all the families gather together, don't just kill Fred. Lift up his neck, take the knife, slit his throat, and let all the blood pump out of Fred into the bucket because you're going to need it. It's a beautiful story. Moses is writing this down. And he says then, and of course, I, my opinion, it's kind of hard to find in the text, even the grammar, but Moses is like, I'm not sure this is a good idea. You know, I'm, I want my kids to like you. God's like, no, no, this is going to be great. I want you to kill Fred, and then I want you to take its blood and put it all over the house. Yeah, over the door frames, window, you know, all of that. Then I want you to skin Fred because you're going to eat Fred. And I know you're bratty kids. I don't care if they're vegan or not. They're going to eat Fred. Because if they don't eat Fred, they have no part of me. And Moses is like, this is a terrible plan. And God says, this is going to be great. In fact, you know what? We're going to do this every year. From generation to generation to generation, it's going to become a memorial between me and my people. Now, I'm going to be quite frank with you. Going through and actually reading the Bible for the first time, I looked at those stories and I was like, that's not only stupid, that's cruel. I just wouldn't have done it. There's certain things I'm just like, I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. Why would he do that? 
Why would he go through the whole charade? He would either have to be bored or there was some kind of significance to it. Now, they did not know it then, but you and I look back and it's a detailed picture, okay? The Passover is a detailed picture of Jesus who is the Lamb. And we look at that and say, yeah, but that's brutal. Yeah, have you, have you watched the story of Jesus? See, they, see, Jesus was not Superman. See, there was no Clark Kent, you know, like, daily front. They crucified one of their own. He'd been in their families, among their families, been in their homes. He'd healed their kids. And this was the picture. And it was ingrained in them over that period of time. What, 2,200 years, 2,500? It was ingrained. He was ingraining into their culture. And it was a detailed picture of the just gruesome event of Israel rejecting their Messiah. That's that event. You take Jesus out of that event, honestly, you're left with a bored God who's just amusing himself. Seriously, because there's no rhyme or reason for it. He's specifically teaching us about... Let me give you another one. One of my other favorites is Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. This is such a great story. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He's trying to explain to him the gospel. And, and of course, like the, 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 the you know, most well-known perhaps passage in the New Testament, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know, John 3.16 through 18, everybody knows. We oftentimes leave out John 3.15, which it's really difficult to understand John 3.16 through 18 if you don't understand John 3.15, because actually John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. It's the reason that literally starts with John 15. And what's John 3.15? Jesus looks at Nicodemus and tells him, says, listen, just as the snake in the wilderness was lifted up, so will be the Son of Man, that I might draw men to myself. And Nicodemus is like, yeah, that was such a weird story. You ever read that story? It's back in Numbers. It's this, again, it's one of these kind of bizarre, seemingly odd, out of place, why go through all of this kind of a deal, kind of a story. And what it is, is they're going through the wilderness in this 40-year thing, and the people of Israel have rebelled against God. They're just, they're a mess, you know, or you're coming up to that event, actually, uh, the 40-year thing. And, and so basically, uh, um, in their hearts, they've turned against God, which opens up this persecution from the enemy. And all of these snakes come out, and they're like biting people, and they're dying. So Moses runs to the tent of meeting and says, hey, we got this snake problem. And God goes, I know what I want to do. And Moses is like, no, dude, seriously, just kill the snakes. And God goes, no, this is going to be great. Here's what I want to do. I want the best craftsmen in all of Israel to come to the tent of meeting. I want you to anoint them. And then I want them to carve in their, in their skill. I want them to carve and make a replica of the kind of snake that's biting them. And then I want you to take that snake, I want you to att attach it to a pole, certain height, and I want you to stick it before the tent of meeting. And then he says, anytime someone is bitten, which means he's not taking away the snakes, 
anytime someone's bitten, they can come and they can look at the snake on the pole and the object of their rebellion. See what happened when they turned their hearts from God? It made them vulnerable to the enemy. So the product of what came from your rebellion, because if you wouldn't have rebelled, the snakes wouldn't have been able to get to you. I would have protected you. But you turned from me in your hearts. You want to go back to Egypt. So whenever you get bitten, you can come and look at the snake on the pole, and I won't let the product of your sin produce death in your life, and you'll live. Jesus says, you remember that story? Just as Moses lifted up the snake, God's going to lift up me. And no matter your past, no matter what background you come from, no matter what's gone on in your life, no matter what poor decisions you made, I'm not, <laughs> dude, I, I, I want this. I'm not going to let your past produce death in your future. That's phenomenal. You're like, dude, that'll preach all day long. It's truth. That's this. So that would be snakes. And we're not even, I mean, dude, you can talk about the sacrificial system, the 30 pieces of silver, the tabernacle, the temple, the community. See, all of that, all of that was God describing, announcing here what was coming here. Now, you with me so far? Okay, here's the next piece. It was interesting, however, that in the Old Testament you had, uh, what was it, Deuteronomy 6.4? You had these passages where God would come and speak. And again, what's he doing? He's talking about what's going to happen here. That's the whole covenant. See, people sometimes talk about the Old Covenant like, well, the Old Covenant, God did this, and it didn't really work too well, and so he went to plan B. No. Well, in the Old Testament, you had God the Father, and he's grumpy, he'll kill you. But then his son's really cool, you know, and no. See, God didn't change gears. God announced here what he was going to do here. And the early church preached about the good news from here. The day Jesus stood up in Luke chapter 4 and said, I've got good news. There's a new covenant came, coming. He preaches out of Isaiah, which was here. Now, there's some problems there's some problems because there seems to be at times, and we work through this, some contradictions between these two. For example, in Deuteronomy 6.4, God says, I am the Lord your God. The Lord your God is one. That you serve one God and all the nations that you're going to go into up in Cana, they're not there are many gods up there, but they're really not gods at all. I'm the only God. You serve one God. Which, by the way, if you were to go back into, into Jewish, and just track that down, if you'd go back into Jewish um, kind of wisdom literature and, and, and some of the rabbis and scribes writing, it's really interesting because there's times when God speaks in plural language. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, did you know that all the words for God are in plural? You can even see it in the English translations. God said, let us make man in our own image. So you have a God in plural who says that he's one. You're like, how does that work? 
And that's where we come into the new covenant. You're in uh, Luke chapter 24. Scroll just up to or turn the page to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, John, the first 18 verses, is introducing in a statement the good news, the covenant that God made through his son, Jesus. And he's introducing Jesus to us. Now, again, give me some time, but we're talking about the scriptures. In the introduction of Jesus, John begins in in verse 1, and he uses language that anybody who is familiar with the Old Covenant would recognize. Listen to what he says, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, you understand, being at all familiar with the Old Covenant, the Word of God was very, very familiar. God spoke through His Word in the Old Covenant. Prophets would come and say, I have a word of the Lord. Moses came down from the mountain and said, I recorded God's word on the stone tablets. He would come in and people would say, what would God say? And Moses would say, God's word is this. Joshua did the same thing and it goes all the way throughout the Old Covenant. In fact, God spoke during an entire 4,000 year timeline through his word And they wrote it down in a little book that we call the Old Covenant Scriptures, the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is the written record of the Word of God coming to the people. God spoke through His Word. You with me? That's easy, right? What John tells us in 1.1 is that that Word was actually a person. Listen to what he says. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God... And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You're like, what? What's he saying? Well, we know in the New Covenant that God is one, but he's one God in three persons. We can't go through all of this this evening, but Cal told me next week he's going to sum up the Trinity for you just lickety-split. Now, we know that our God is one God, and He's one God in Father and, say it, Son and. When it really comes down to it, we know about these two because of this one. In the Old Covenant, this is really important. And by the way, I'm giving you a lot of information, but it'll come together. In the Old Covenant... We're not talking about this one. We're talking about this one God. That's Yahweh. This is Yahweh. This is the God of the Old Covenant. But in a New Covenant, Jesus makes Him known. Well, who's Jesus? He's actually this one. That's the Son. That John tells us His identity from the very beginning is this Word. He's the Word of God. In fact, before He was born, this God here said, I want you to name this one Jesus. He's the only one that has a name. We don't know the name of these two. I personally believe Ed and Charles, but that's just my opinion. But we only know the name of this guy. And so, this is so neat. In introducing the good news, the Messiah, all of this in the Old Covenant, God was describing a Messiah that was going to come. 
And the Messiah that was going to come, we find out in, in, in the beginning verses of John, and specifically down in verse 14, that a time came when this Word, who was in the beginning with God, this Word leapt off His throne and entered into the womb of a woman named Mary. And in nine months, that Word came out, took on flesh, and we called Him Jesus. And when John describes Him, he says He's the one that's been way back here before the beginning. In fact, he says he's the Word. And people are like, hold on. You're saying that the Word of God that was the avenue of God speaking in the Old Testament, which they wrote down in a book, God spoke through His Word, they wrote it down in the book, that that Word right here took on flesh and came out and became a man? Yes. So put this together. The man, Jesus, who walked around was the living Word of God that before He came into flesh existed back here and was speaking to us in an Old Covenant hour. Just let it sink in. If you spend any time around church, you're going to hear people call the Scriptures the written Word. And they're going to call Jesus the living Word. You're going to say, what's that? Well, they're connected. Because this person right here was alive from the beginning. And Jesus, before He became a human being, was the communication between this God and humanity. In fact, they wrote it down. And then Jesus came out of the womb and looked at everybody and said, I wrote that. Yeah, I'm the avenue. In fact, you know what? That's what Hebrews says. Hebrew 1.1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, it's been through the Son. So Jesus is the living, and, it's, and there's all kinds of, if we had time, there's all kinds of passages in the New Testament where Jesus is talking to the leaders of Israel. One of my favorites in John chapter 8. And man, they're just criticizing Jesus. They're throwing racial slurs at him, saying he's an illegitimate child, all this stuff. And so, and they begin to use for their, their permission to do that as they say, we are sons of Abraham. And Jesus starts talking about Abraham like he knows him. They're like, we're sons of Abraham. And he's like, oh yeah, Abraham, great guy, loves to fish. And they're like, how, how do you know Abraham? He says, before Abraham was, I am. So for 4,000 years, Jesus, as the Word, was speaking to mankind about God's identity and dream for mankind. And then after 4,000 years, Jesus said, I don't think they're getting it. I'm going in. And He entered into the womb of a woman named Mary, came out and said, let me show you what it looks like. And then demonstrated it. Demonstrated in the flesh everything that he'd been talking about from the beginning. You want to know why I believe that the Scriptures reveal Jesus? He wrote it. Well, how do you know that? It's what the book says. That's what Jesus says. And how can we claim to know Jesus when we don't spend any time with Him and His Word? Guys, you've, you've got to be in the Word. Seriously, you have got to be in the Word. Or you're going to end up walking with a Jesus that's not the Jesus. I do. I believe people love Jesus, 
But sometimes they love a Jesus that's not the Jesus that I love. I love the Jesus of the book, which he wrote. By the way, the definition, if you ever go to college and learn the, defer- the definition of inspiration, the, Bi- the Bible's inspired word of God, we call it the inspired word of God because it's written by man but authored by God. Yeah, when you open your Bible to the book of Jeremiah, he didn't write that. I mean, he may have wrote it, but he didn't author it. The word spoke to him, he wrote it down. And he didn't even know the meaning of it. That's the definition of inspiration. That's the definition of, that, that's why we call the word, and it's unlike any other book on the face of the planet. When I first got saved, a lady came up to me and she handed to me, actually it was a young guy, came up to me and handed me a devotional. She said, read this every day. It was by a man named Oswald Chambers, and it was called My Utmost for His Highest. And I loved it. And there was awesome things in it, and and then my grandma ended up saying, well, I don't agree with this because it means this. And my uncle, I still remember this. He was like, well, no, it doesn't mean that. And they were going back and forth. And I was like, well, let's, let's go ask him. They're like, dude, he's dead. Now, did God use Oswald Chambers to write that book? And, and is it, Yeah, absolutely. But we really can't. I mean, you can speculate what Oswald Chambers said, but we don't really know. That's not the case with this book. Because the author of that book is alive and lives in your body. <laughs> Dude, that's next level. And through the Spirit, He will reveal. Do you realize this is discerned? Get this. This is discerned through the Holy Spirit. It's not through education. I was talking to a young girl about that. It is the God-given right of every believer to know Him in His Word. Period. This is not an educational pursuit. Yeah, you got to know how to read. It'd be great if you learned Greek. But you have the author of it living in your body. And he wants to reveal himself to you. Which is phenomenal. I mean, there are times, and Cal can tell you this, but there's been times where I'll be studying a passage and he just flat out just reveals truth. It's like he wants to speak to you. That's why this is unlike any other book, man. It's God's holy word. We're going to quit. We don't need closing music tonight. I want want you to think on this. From the very beginning, God began to speak through his word. The prophets came and said, thus, word of the Lord. And through all of these events, God was speaking about the coming of the Messiah, the Son. And for 4,000 years, as God spoke, they wrote it down into a collection of writing. And then right here, the time came and the Father sent the Son, who's the Word, into the woman of a wo- in the womb of a woman named Mary. He came out and God said, call him Jesus. And he was literally the one who'd been speaking to them from the beginning. And everything he talked to them about, he demonstrated in the flesh. So let me show you what it looks like. And when we get into that book, the Spirit of Jesus lives into us and interprets it for us. You understand, one last thing, Satan cannot understand Scripture. This is, this, this, this is bonus material for you. Because there's a lot of like, probably stuff happening. 
But un- Satan cannot understand Scripture because it's divinely revealed. Think about it. Satan's been around from the very beginning, argued with, I mean, he argued over the body of Moses. Come on, he's been around from the beginning. Tempted everybody who ever wrote in that thing. All the things we know about Jesus, crucified on a cross, none of his bones broken. Why did Satan play into the hands? I mean, why kill him in any way but a tree? Why would he do that? Because he doesn't understand it. There's a difference between facts and information and truth. I meet people who know about information about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. You can know information and I know him. This is discerned by the Spirit of God living inside of you. The disciples, get this, the disciples knew more, they knew Jesus better after he was dead and gone than they did when he lived with them for three years. Why? Because the Spirit was going to come down and move inside of them. And it wasn't until Pentecost when the Spirit came that their eyes were opened. And Peter's no longer like walking around with his foot in his mouth. You have that Spirit living inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of your body. Dude, that's incredible. The same Spirit of wisdom that orchestrated all things, lives in your body. You can know him. Cal and I joke about this. There's times we'll be preaching, and we'll, like, we'll sit back and be like, dude, that's so good. <laughs> it did come from me. It's beautiful. So I want to encourage you, get to know him in the word. If you're hungry, he's waiting to reveal himself to you. If not, you're going to end up serving a Jesus that does not exist. And you're going to end up with an unbiblical Christianity that's not a biblical Christianity. Any questions? Just mull it over. We're saving this on Facebook, right? Just go listen to it again. I teach, um, as I said, a class in the fall and a class in the spring on this. 12 hours in the fall, 12 hours in the spring. And we incorporate original language and how to deal with you know, prepositional phrases, infinitive phrases, participial phrases, all the stuff that you and I love to talk about all the time. And we come and we look at the scriptures and all of those kinds of things. And uh, if you're interested in that, you can go to citytakerstrainingcenter.com and check it out. Um, but it's, it's all a pursuit of knowing Him and His Word. Let me pray with you. Jesus, we thank You for the truth of Your Word tonight. And uh, Lord, we want to be biblically centered, Spirit-led believers. And if it's not in the book, I ain't buying it. Father, give us a hunger for Your Word. Teach us to eat the Word. Open our eyes Give us your insight. Give us the same spirit that operated in your son, that communicated the word. Communicate it now to us. 
as you did in Luke, open our eyes so we can understand the Scriptures. I am hungry, Jesus. And we will give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray.